Um, also, please stand, if you would, for the reading of the, the Scripture. Uh, we've had uh, Pat and Angie Mack with us for some time, and of course they have with them their Big Mac there. And uh, <coughs> it's so good to have them with us. And to our other guests who are here, God bless you so very much, and we're glad that you chose to come and be with us. Praise God. From Acts, the fourth chapter, there is a scripture, verse 13, that I would like to read. Only one verse, and then I will give you the setting of the scripture. Uh, this is such an important, this is such an important event that's taking place. Uh, the apostles, I say the apostles, Two of the apostles, Peter and John, they were before the Sanhedrin, and they are validating their experience with Jesus. So verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter, that is the, the men involved in the Sanhedrin, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And I want to speak on the subject, which is really a question. Does your Jesus make a difference? Does your Jesus make a difference? And you may be seated. I think when it comes to comparing these men with some of the more learned men of their day, that the apostles were considered by others to be unlearned and ignorant. As you very well know, most of the apostles were fishermen, not all of them. Uh, John was considered, along with his brother James, who were the sons of Zebedee, to be quite wealthy. When <clears throat> we take a look at the, the setting of this, in chapter 3, Peter and John going up to prayer to the upper room in the temple, they saw a man who was crippled. And they went up to this man. This man asked alms, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Most people, in studying the lives of the apostles, believe that, that Peter and John, uh, Peter, uh, James and John, who were brothers, were a little bit on the wealthy side. And the reason why that Peter did not say, Silver and gold have we none. He spoke only of himself because he was the man who was a fisherman that did not have much money. Now when we say wealthy, that does not mean that they had cold cash in their hands. But uh, because most of the people in their day who were wealthy people they had all of their wealth tied up in commodities such as land and 
and, and, and such. But the overall standard of the apostles compared to the standard of the world, especially by the most renowned men of their day, they were not considered to be very educated. Now, Paul came along later. He seemed to be an, an exception to the rule because he was considered by this same group of men as perhaps in a superior, not inferior, in education. You remember when Paul was brought before uh, the high priest and then when he was put before uh, Festus and Felix and even Herod, uh, the statement was made, Paul, much learning has made thee mad. It just seems like that, that, that the Christian movement always has had a conflict with the world. Uh, if you don't have the proper education, you're nothing. If you get a superior education, uh, it drives you insane. I'm, I'm saying that's the way the world's looking at it. So <clears throat> these people were looking for fault. Uh, there's no doubt about it. When this man was healed, that was by the gate called Beautiful, the Bible says that he went leaping throughout the temple. Now, they could not deny. They, they, when they called uh, the apostles together, they could not deny that, that this man had been healed. Just simple faith in God. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And, and Peter exercised his faith by reaching out and getting the man by the hand. He was sure he was going to walk. He said, come on, get, get, me, get my hand. Let's, let's walk. Are you talking about Jesus making a difference in a man's life? Here's a man that's crippled. Here's a man that had been put by this gate 30 years. Here's a man that just had no strength of his own. I mean, he, there's no way could he walk. And... And just in a moment's time, this man is challenging you to a, a foot race. What do you think of that? It, it would be hard for you to, to go up to someone, let's say in a wheelchair, that, that cannot walk and has never walked. It would be hard for you to go up and start talking and the man look up at you and say, Hey, buddy, how would you like to run a race with me? And you'd say, a race? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get out of this chair. I think I can beat you. And you would probably think, <laughs> no way. There's no way. But I'm here to tell you, when the apostles lay hands on him or when they prayed for him and reached down, actually, if you notice what happened, they, they, they really didn't even pray. They These men had been in prayer they were going back in prayer and usually the battle is won or lost in prayer they, they he just commanded the man he gave him a simple commandment in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk 
And this man that had to be carried here, the Bible says that immediately, verse 7 uh, of Acts 3, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I'm in a total healing. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew, the Bible says, that it was he that which set at alms at the gate called of the temple called Beautiful. The Bible says they were all filled with wonder and amazement. Isn't that something? Now, <clears throat> the problem is that this was done in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus had been to the cross. Jesus Christ's resurrection had already taken place. Jesus had already ascended. The day of Pentecost was behind them. And there were a lot of hot feelings against Jesus Christ. A lot of tempers. Uh, things that people could not explain, but yet they would not accept. And so, they were looking for something wrong. Now, they called the apostles together, or Peter and John, and said, Now, it's all right that uh, you do this, but we want you to know that uh, you cannot do this in the name of Jesus. If you want to go ahead and practice your miracles, I mean, to help people, that's fine. Uh, as near as we could equate this today would be, and I'm not in any way down on medical science, but it would be like saying, look, if you people at Calvary Gospel Church can help people by, maybe if you had a doctor among you that could, could uh, uh, administer medicine and you could help people, that's, that's fine. We'd like, we'd like to see people healed. But if there is a shortcut to that, and if you'd call on the name of Jesus Christ and have faith and accomplish the same thing, we'd prefer you not to do it. You follow what I'm saying? Words, we, want, we, like, we want the healing, but we would rather not see them healed. We'd rather see people still in their misery than we would to see Jesus' name called over them and see them healed. Now, that's what they're saying. If you do it any other way, do it. Because we're glad that this man's been healed. Furthermore, he's been a nuisance to us because he asked us for money, too. So we'd like to see him healed. But if it means being healed in the name of Jesus Christ versus some other way, we would prefer, we just prefer the man just not to be healed. Now, you can read that's what they're saying. Now, a lot of questions came up, and so as a result, the Bible says they, they put them in hold overnight. In other words, they wouldn't turn them loose. The reason why is because the men just would not agree that they were going to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They said, we can't, we can't do that. So they put them in hold, verse 3 of chapter 4, until the next day. Uh, 
the Bible says they were very grieved that they taught the people, preached through Jesus, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. We believe in the resurrection, but not through Jesus Christ. That's what they were saying. We believe that it'd be nice to see people heal, but not through Jesus Christ. And then in the morning, they were brought before the rulers and the elders and the scribes. And they were really given what we'd call a dressing down, a going over. They tried to intimidate these people. <clears throat> Peter says in verse 11, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Now they obviously knew that this was the fulfillment of prophecy because it was prophesied that the Messiah would become the chief cornerstone. And it was also prophesied that he would be rejected. But isn't it amazing that when one came along and did what their Messiah was supposed to do, and when he was rejected like the prophecy said he would be, they also rejected Jesus Christ. If Jesus had been accepted by everyone, he would not have fulfilled the prophecy. And I just want to interject something here. Jesus Christ, every place he went, he drew a crowd, a revival or a riot. But he drew a crowd. One or the other. People picked up stones to kill him, or they put down palm branches in his path and declared him to be their king, crying, Hosanna. One or the other. Little children felt comfortable coming to him. But wherever Jesus went, he always made a difference. Now, I'm just going to stop in the analogy of the Scripture here and just interject something I think is so important. I'm amazed at how many places of worship where the name of Jesus Christ is mentioned and where Jesus Christ's name is preached about, that, it, that, that Jesus Christ in individual lives makes little or no difference at all. People walk right out of sanctuaries, go back out on the real streets of life, and you would never guess that they had been in a house of worship. You just never guessed that. And, and yet I see people who come into contact with Jesus Christ, they have an encounter with them, and it's a life-changing thing. Now you can stand up all you want to and preach about becoming new creatures in Christ Jesus, but my friend, if Jesus Christ does not change your life, you're not a new creature. And you can get baptized every day. You just go down dry and come up wet. There has to be a life change. 
and every place that Jesus Christ went, things were different. Lives were changed. People were changed. Now, everybody wanted the change. Everybody wanted the difference. But they didn't want the God and the only God that could make the change. They didn't want Him to do the changing. You can go in for professional counseling, uh, sit down for one or two sessions per week, make a life change, and society will, will publish all kinds of reports on it. Reports such as, you cannot believe what AA has done for the American alcoholic. But let someone come into the house of God and be delivered from alcoholism in a moment's time and call up someone and ask them if they'll publish a report on it. I know of some of you who were alcoholics before you came to Jesus. Do we have anyone that raised, that's bold enough to raise their hand? Okay. Look at these people. And they came to Jesus Christ and never took another drink. Totally delivered. We'll brag on AA. And please understand, I'm not knocking AA. I'm saying that if what is being done is so great, and if so much money is poured into research to help people with cancer, to help people with, with deformities and such, then when Jesus Christ comes along and does it free of charge... My, why can't we magnify Him? Why can't we glorify Him? Why can't He get credit? Why can't He be praised? Why can't we be glad and happy that Jesus Christ has come our way? So those men looked down their glasses. I'm sure they didn't have them, but they, they said, Now wait just a minute. We're happy about the change, but we're not happy about the way you did it. And we'd rather see the man out there crippled than to see him jumping around here calling him on the name of Jesus. <clears throat> you notice the young man running this morning in, here in the house of God? young man by the name of Jeff Baum. He's a new man in our church. He's been in the church probably close to a year. Maybe a little less than a year. We had someone that came in to our assembly and I was doing some counseling with the individual and the individual just asked this question said why is this boy running I said well it's a very interesting thing it's more interesting when he tells you though and we didn't teach him to do that I never told him to do that but if you listen to his testimony of all the things that he was involved and when Jesus Christ set him free, he told me, he said, Brother Grant, I, I'm sorry. I, I hope that I didn't come into your church and just ruin the atmosphere. <laughs> but he said, I, I can't. Uh, you, you just don't know what God has done for me. And he said, when I, I, personally, he said, I guess God touches everybody in a different way, but I can't understand how anybody can sing some of these courses we sing without running. 
well, some of you people who run, you can't, probably can't either, but some of you people who don't, uh, well, let me say this. It's easier to get enthused about things if you're enthused about it. And it's easy to be critical about things if you're not doing it. I say if Jeff Vaughn needs to run, let him run. Well, he may turn off someone. Well, since when did worship always receive the acceptance of society? On the day of Pentecost, they, they thought they were, the Bible says they were, some were mocking. I mean, they sat back and mocked. Others said, these men are full of wine, new wine. Peter stood up and said, these men are not drunken as ye suppose. Didn't deny their drunken condition. But they had been drinking new wine from heaven, the power of the Holy Ghost. And this Holy Ghost changes people. This Jesus Christ will change your life. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I feel the presence of the Lord. Let's lift our hands and worship Him. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. In verse 12, this is what Peter had to say about their request. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and we, we, look at, uh, we look at Peter as being a very bold man to start with, very impetuous. You've heard this, but uh, the intimidation of the world has a way of taking the boldness out of you. You remember when Jesus was crucified, it was Peter that denied the Lord. Did you know that the first church had to pray for boldness? Did you know that? They did. They prayed for boldness. Now let me explain something. There's a vast difference in being bold then and being bold now. Now, you may have to pray for boldness, but, but basically the difference is that, I mean, if you just have a very aggressive personality and you want to go and and speak your piece someplace on a street corner, go ahead. Nobody's going to do anything. But when these men had to pray for boldness, you, you must understand it was a life or death matter. I mean, if, they, if they're going to do what they need to do and what you and I have the privilege of doing here in the United States of America and in many other democratic free nations... I mean, nobody's going to do anything. You may have somebody come by and mock at you, but I'm talking about being locked up in jail. I'm talking about being beaten. So they marveled. But this one thing they could not deny, that these men had been with Jesus. Now, the obvious assumption is, you know, we know because we have the first chapter of the book of Acts, and we know that Jesus Christ had already ascended. 
these men weren't really for sure what happened to him. But they did know this, that, that somehow they had been with him. They didn't understand it was in the upper room in prayer. They didn't understand that. They thought that maybe these men are just slipping off someplace to wherever he's camped out. And they were going in and they were being influenced. Totally influenced. Totally influenced. Being with Jesus made a difference then. When Jesus Christ came through. John the fourth chapter, the lady at the Samaritan well. Jacob's well, the Bible says. If you just turn there, it, this is such a, such a great passage of Scripture. I'll tell you, I find so many... Beautiful gems, nuggets. Want to read this? John the fourth chapter. The Bible tells us that uh, Jacob's well was there. Verse six. Being wearied with his journey, set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now the thing that 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 really intrigues me about this, if you back up. To verse 4, Jesus said, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, Jesus Christ needed this experience. Now, when you look at the woman by the well, you think, oh, man, she really needed Jesus. True. But the Bible also says that Jesus needed to go through. Well, someone said he needed to go through just to heal. <clears throat> but let me point out something. Well, it is true that God made man in order for man to worship him. You also must understand that, that God needed an avenue to express himself. In other words, man was not made just so that God would get glory, but also man was made so that God could express himself. You have to understand Lucifer and a third of all the stars of heaven, angels of heaven, now demons, were cast out of heaven because of rebellion. Then God made a human being. Why? To praise him? Well, not just to praise him. But this was another avenue in which God could show his love. And I want to say something that I think is so important. Regardless of what your concept of God is, God wants to do good things for every person He can. If your father, being earthly, know how to give good gifts to men, how much more, the Bible says, shall your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to men? God wants to do something good for you today. Now, quite often, we reject that. We reject that idea. I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with a child that has a, con uh, uh, I say a conflict, that has a complex. I've dealt with some children before, and, and, and their approach would be like this. Well, Pastor, I know that you won't let me do this, but... You ever heard that before? So don't use that approach because that reflects our relationship 
right away you pitch yourself negatively toward me by saying, you know, really, you're not good by nature, so you probably won't, you know, you're not going to let me do this. You ever had children to do that? Well, others just come up and say, Oh, Pastor Grant, he'll let us. We have that in the school all the time, see. And they just boldly walk up, state their request. Well, what happens when people then approach God like, God, I know I'm not much, and I know you don't care for me. Now, please understand, I believe that we should all be submissive to God, and I believe that repentance is hard to separate from submissiveness and humility. But humility is not seeing how far down you can push yourself, but humility is just being yourself. See? There's a vast difference between humility and shame. Shame is a complex that you develop as a result of sin or a weakness in the flesh. John the Baptist came upon the scene, and the Bible says that he shall knock down the hills and bring up the valleys. He shall straighten out the crooked path. Basically, what the Bible is saying, the people who are full of pride, John's message is going to bring them down. But those who have been living under the guilt and the shame of sin, like this woman by the well at Samaria, John the Baptist is going to have a way of picking her up. Why? Because he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ who had that same message. Jesus Christ had a real way of knocking the Pharisees down. But a woman caught in adultery, he forgave her of her sins. Isn't that right? So Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Jesus needed to go and talk to this sinful woman. Jesus needed to go and talk to this person who had a bad reputation. And when Jesus Christ went to that well and this woman began to draw water, she was amazed that Jesus, who was a Jew and a man, would be in her presence. She was a Samaritan. Samaritans were not like. We talk about racial strife in America, but let me tell you something. They had it back in these days. I mean, everybody had their own little corner. Nobody associated with anyone that they that was in, that they even had a question mark. You can do that. And the Samaritans, you know, you know, when Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission, what did he say? Let's turn to, turn to Acts, the first chapter. I think this would be worth reading, and most of you know this. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts 1 and 8. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Now, <clears throat> we just stopped there. Did you know that Samaria was in Judea? you know that? The city of Samaria was in Judea. Now, what I'm pointing out, when he says all Judea, would that not include Samaria? But why did he say, and in Samaria? 
because he knew that's the place that these people who heard him speak would not want to go. And Jesus was saying, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, it's going to change that attitude. And if you read in Acts the 8th chapter, my friend, when Philip went to Samaria, the Bible says all of Samaria believed the words of Philip. Jesus made a difference in Samaria because Jesus had made a difference in Philip's life. Hallelujah. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached unto all the world for a witness. Then shall the end come. Who is important to Jesus? Every creature. Every person. We sing the song in Sunday school. I remember singing when I was a little kid. We still sing it. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Do I have a tune like that? Carolyn says no. Tammy says yes. Thank you, Tammy, for supporting me. <clears throat> what was wrong with that? I didn't hear what you said. In the Texas tune. Okay, all right. That's the way we sing in Texas. And that's what she's saying. <clears throat> well, we sing that, and we, we but, but you see, sometimes you can have these deep-seated prejudices, and, and you do exclude people. But I, I, brought, I said all that to say that there is not one person, I don't care what your background is, what your cultural differences are, there's not one person that sits under the sound of my voice that Jesus Christ does not love, and he loves equally you with everybody else. We're all one in Christ Jesus, Paul says. There's neither male nor female, bond nor free, Jew or Greek. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So Jesus needed to go there. And when Jesus went there, he ministered to this woman. This woman was drawing water. And Jesus just looked at this and said, uh, Ma'am, I have water that you can can drink up and never thirst. Now, you draw that water with that bucket that you have. You drink it, you'll, you'll, you'll thirst again. But I have water that you can drink up and never thirst. She was so amazed. She, she, she was inquiring about, you know, uh, I mean, are you a prophet or what? You know, and Jesus began to prophesy. And... Uh, in verse 19, she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Jesus said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Then Jesus goes on to talk. And then verse 24, he says, God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the lady says, Oh, my, 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 my. i got to go tell my husband about it. And Jesus says, Oh, well, let me just talk to you about that just a little bit. He's very gentle. He said, you know, you've had several husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing 
even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and the maw, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Jesus Christ was able to look right through her skin, right through her skull, right inside of her brain. He knew that she knew she was not telling the truth. But you notice how gentle he was. He could have said, because he was the Lord of glory, thou shalt not lie. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Lady, if you're going to stand here and lie to the Messiah, get your bucket and go back home. But he didn't do it, did he? You see, it appears, the, the truth of the matter is, Christians really do need to make an in-depth study of the life of Christ. If we're going to follow Christ, we need to know how Christ dealt with things. It's so important that you do things the way Jesus did them. In other words, if saving this woman, if reaching this woman was a priority of Jesus's, then he was going to seek out the most productive means to see it accomplished. That's what he's going to do. Sometimes we as Christians, you know, we get a little Bible under our belt. And, and we can just blow the world away. Because God is all powerful. You know that? Have you ever turned off someone? You're going to turn off people. The Acts chapter, you know, but I'm talking about going out with your dukes up, ready to fight. The attitude of the New Testament Christian is described by Jesus Christ when he says, when he sent the 70 out, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. If any wrong comes to you, don't let it be because of some nasty attitude, Christianity, with all of its power to change a human being, does not give you license to be nasty. Isn't that amazing? It does not give you license to be nasty. Well, when Jesus Christ began to talk to her, the Bible says in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. She got so excited she forgot even why she came to the well. She didn't even know why she was there. I've seen that happen here in the house of God. I've seen, I have concluded my preaching and I've had people come down to the altar. They, they forgot they were even in church. I've had people come they didn't know how to pray. How do I pray? I said, you talk to Jesus just like you talk to a friend. Because he is a friend. And talk to him just like you talk to a friend. And they began to talk to Jesus. They forgot about Pastor Grant. They forgot about Rich Thomas. They forgot about John Brunker or Brenda Puckett. They forgot about everybody. She got so beside herself, she, she forgot why she even came out there to start with. She left all of her water there. She ran back in. She said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not 
this, the Christ. Do you think Jesus made a difference in her life? <laughs> this little occurrence in John 4 set the stage for Philip to go. Several years later, for a revival. The seed, the seeds were planted. Jesus made a difference. Mark the 10th chapter, there's a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. Uh, just some stories just do something for you. This does something for me. I, I preached on this. I, I like this story. Um, the book of Matthew talks about two beggars, two blind people. Uh, the book of Mark only talks about Bartimaeus. I, I'd like to read the one in the book of Mark because it only mentions Bartimaeus. I don't like to read it. Don't, let, let me rephrase this. I like to read it because it mentions his name. In other words, it, it personalizes one particular, focuses in on one particular uh, situation. The Bible says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now the thing that I want to point out to you that's so, so important, Jesus, and only Jesus, had the ability to make this man see. The next thing I want to point out to you is that Bartimaeus was moved by faith to believe that Jesus Christ could do what Jesus Christ could do. The third thing I want to point out is that Jesus Christ was going through Jericho and leaving town he was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Nobody knew that but Jesus. Bartimaeus perhaps did not even know this. Now that simply means Jesus Christ would never, never go to Jericho again. This was his only chance, his last hope. He would never go through that city again. Maybe he didn't know that. But he knew that Jesus Christ could change his life. If you don't think receiving sight will change your life, my friend, this man was led out there every day and sat down right here, beg, 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 alms, give me alms, give me alms. But when Jesus Christ came through, he had heard about the miracles of Jesus. Someone had told him, this man stood up and he began to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What happened? The Bible says that they, many of the, and many charged him that he should hold his peace. In other words, they ran up to him and said, hold it just a minute here. Who are you? You ever felt like that? I've counseled with a lot of people. I don't know if Jesus even knows I'm in the world. 
Well, that's kind of a, uh, a mentality that we get. We kind of give that to each other sometimes by making each other feel bad. Some of us feel that, that our mission in life was sent to intimidate people, make them, make them feel bad. Really? Jesus Christ was the good news. And I'll tell you, my friend, if you're going to reach people with the lost, you've got to be the good news. You must be the good news before you can share the good news. If when you come up on the scene, you're bad news, people won't listen to your good news. Now, if this sounds confusing, it's just that confusion in real life. You've got to be the good news in order to share the good news. Because if you're the bad news when you come up on the scene, your gospel is e evilly spoken of. You're good. So your good news becomes the bad news because you are the bad news. I've said it many different ways. I wish I had another way of saying it. Maybe you'd remember that. Saw a lady one time in the supermarket. Somebody's going to introduce me to her. And so, oh, this is Sister So-and-so. And I said, oh, great. Good to meet you. So how are you today? She says, terrible. I said, oh. She said, yes. That's the way it is with us Christians. I said, oh, come on. Life can't be that bad. She said, you don't work where I work. She said, I hate Christians over there. So, said, yep, my boss man has it in for me. Puts all the hard work on me. I said, where do you work? She told me where she worked. She said, I said, now, wait a minute. You're just perceiving this in your mind. She said, no, I'm not. Picks on me all the time. Never has liked me. I said, well, have you ever worked on a job where people liked you? She said, nope. What happens when you witness to people? They don't like it. I mean, I'm serious with you. We walked away and went down the aisle. My mom kind of felt that I was a little bit grieved, and she wanted to come for me. She said, oh, you just have to love some people, son. Don't worry about it. You know what was going over in my mind? I'll, I'll let you read my mind here for a moment. Draw the curtain, and you can see in my mind. I'm going to pull it back so at the end so you won't keep reading. But <laughs> you know what I was thinking about? Now, if I were the devil, I'm drawing the curtain back so you can't read any further. If I were the devil, she's the type of person I'd really like to jump on. Because she's not going to win one soul to Jesus. Did Jesus make a difference in her life? I'm not going to question her salvation. But I am going to say this. I think, if I understand the scripture correctly, that Jesus Christ does, somewhere along the road, every now and then, maybe not all time, you know, but every now and then, he just pumps you up with a little bit of joy, don't you think? Don't you think he can put a little bit of it in your bloodstream? Wearing an undertaker smile. You know what an undertaker smile is, don't you? It's a smile that's turned upside down. <clears throat> it's just... Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. 
I'm here to tell you. That's what they were saying. Bartimaeus, who are you? You think Jesus cares for you? You think Jesus loves you? We're important people. And we're in this little procession here with Jesus. It didn't mean anything to Bartimaeus. My last hope, my last chance. The only person that can change my life. Jesus, thou son of David. He cried out the louder. You know what happened? My friend, Jesus Christ stopped dead in his tracks. And he turned around and said, who called me? He says, huh. You know, back there. Jesus said, Bartimaeus, what would you have me to do? You know, another amazing thing was that when Bartimaeus got up to go toward Jesus, you know what he did? He took his cloak off. In other words, this man had a lot of faith in God, and blind people wore these cloaks. In other words, if you saw a blind man, you didn't pay any attention to the cane in his hand. You looked at his garment. When he got up, guess what he did? He pulled his coat off. I cannot help but believe that Bartimaeus was determined to touch Jesus. Bartimaeus knew that when, when I touch Jesus, Jesus will make a difference in my life. Did he? Oh, yes, he did. Praise God. Did Jesus make a difference then? Oh, yes. Ask the maniac of Gadara, who was clothed in his right mind. Ask the shorty, Zacchaeus, who climbed up in a tree. When Jesus came to your house, did he make a difference? Ask Mary and Martha, who stood by Lazarus's tomb. Ask Lazarus, who came out of the tomb. Did Jesus make a difference? But my friend, he not only made a difference then, he makes a difference now. Praise God. I ask about all the alcoholics. You know, I was just so thrilled. Something was said to me just the other day. Rich, it was by your dad. It happened to be at your mom's funeral. I was talking to your dad, and he was alone. Actually, it was before the funeral. He came up, and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Pastor, I haven't been very expressive. But he said, my son, Rich, found God at your church. He said, you didn't know him before he found God, did you? I said, no. He said, it's made all the difference in his life. In our recent council meeting, we discussed buying chairs for little children. We need some chairs in our Sunday school. We've had chairs, and they're just getting old and battered and torn. Yesterday, I opened a letter from Rich's dad. Just so thankful. So thankful for what the church did. He said, also, he said, my lovely wife loved children. Rich was telling me that uh, you folks needed chairs for children. He said, I'm enclosing a $200 check 
memory of my lovely wife. He said, I believe that you should take this and buy some chairs for little children. Jesus will make a difference in their lives. It happened to be the, the letter and the testimony of this man that prompted me to preach this message today. Jesus still makes a difference. He was not just the Jesus of 2,000 years ago, but he's the resurrected Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Would you stand with me at this time? Rich's mom was filled with the Holy Ghost one week before she passed away just a few weeks ago. If you could go and pull back the curtain of eternity like I did the curtain of my mind, you could see this precious saint. You could ask her, Mrs. Thomas, tell us about it. She'll say, Jesus made the difference. And Jesus can make a difference for you today. If you're heartbroken, He can heal you. If you're emotionally stressed out, Jesus can give you peace. If you feel like you're painted in a corner someplace and you don't know which way to go, Jesus can reach down and rescue you. If you're laboring under a lot of stress and guilt has you ridden down because you just can't accomplish what you need to accomplish, you need to find some peace in Jesus. If you're living a life of shame, it's come about as a result of some sin. Jesus can justify you, make you just as if you had never sinned. Whatever, whatever, Jesus will make a difference. We want our praise singers to sing. And if you need a touch from the Lord, why don't you step out and come and kneel down at the front today. We have people who'd be glad to come and kneel with you, pray with you. you there is room at the cross for you. Come on right now.
Brother Armstrong has been sick this past week quite extensively, in fact, the last few weeks. Some of your brothers come and pray with him. Would you do that? Come on and kneel by his side and pray with him. There's room at the cross for you. Come on and give your heart to God today. Come on, step out right now, would you? 